one of the central words in Jonah's prayer that you heard read and that we'll talk about today is temple. Even in the midst of the belly of the great fish, worship was central to Jonah's life. And he longed to be at temple in worship. And whether we are here physically in the sanctuary today or whether we're engaged on live through the live stream, uh, God has nudged you to worship because worship is central. God created eternity in the hearts of every woman, man, and child. Worship is central. And with that in mind, we pause today for our prayer time. And we want to begin with a moment of silence today in memory of the thousands, almost 3,000, who died on 9-11-2001. And among them was one of our former youth, Douglas Kitchens graduated from Midlow High and UVA, worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, and lost his life on that day. And so every year here at our church, we pause not only to remember all those who have suffered because of 9-11-01 and what happened, but in particular, Douglas's family. Bow with me for this moment of silence. O oh Lord God, we thank you even in the midst of our tears and our hurts and our longings, memories that are painful and things that stir us. We acknowledge you are with us and will never leave us or forsake us. Even in the midst of Jonah's circumstances, deep in the depths, in the darkness, he prayed to you and his prayer of lament turned to praise. And that praise may not happen right away. It may take weeks, months, or even years for us to be able to, to see our heart be able to completely praise you. But in the midst of all of that that we are feeling and experiencing, there you are. You are unchanging the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is the reason for the hope that we have, that there is a God who is greater than all of our calamities and all of the things that the world hurls at us. We love you, even though we don't always act like it. And we acknowledge our sins before you today as we break bread together, especially for the things that we've done outside of the boundaries you've established for us and the things we've left undone. Those whom we have looked at in judgment unfairly and those perhaps whom needed help and we went on by or withheld our gifts to use for something else. These are things we experience. It's normal. And for them, we 
offer our confessions and seek your forgiveness. And we know through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross that we can be forgiven and given a second chance, just as Jonah was given second chance. You are the God of unlimited second chances. Lord, we pray today for those who are sick, those who are in the hospital, those who are recovering like Dwayne, John, Faye, and a number of others in our community of faith. And today we also lift those who are bereaved, those who are mourning the death of a loved one. And in particular, we remember Norman and his family in the death of his sister yesterday. We pray you give comfort and strength to them in these days that lie ahead. Lord, as we continue to journey together, we face our own 9-11 in this pandemic. It is said that it's the 9-11 for this generation. Lord, help us trust you to lead us through it. Help us be strong. Help us, as we sang earlier, to be a church of expectation, a church that opens its arms to receive your love and your word and the mission that you have called us to be. We offer our prayers in the name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. You've heard the text read today from the book of Jonah. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time today, perhaps in person or online, we are in a four-week series on the book of Jonah. It's four chapters long, so we're taking a chapter a week during the month of September. And as I reflect on uh, today's passage, I remember, because we're talking about prayer today, and I remember nine years ago when I was in the waiting room at St. Mary's Hospital here in Richmond, I was having surgery that day to have my thyroid removed. Thankfully, it was not cancerous, but because of a family history on both sides, mom and dad's side, the surgery was necessary. I had never been in the hospital before. The only kind of surgery I'd ever had was when I skinned up my knee and had to have six stitches some years ago. That was it. So all of this was new for me. We arrived at St. Mary's that morning early and a number of deacons and pastors from our former church where I was serving came to pray with me and Melanie in the waiting area. And then a nurse came and called my name and I nervously went back to the surgical waiting area. They got me all ready, put the IV in my wrist, and then I had to wait. I don't think it was very long, but for me, it felt like a long day at the DMV or being on hold with the Social Security Administration. That's the kind of waiting it was. So I thought to myself, how long, O oh Lord, uh, thinking about uh, the, the laments as I'm reflecting on this. And while I waited there, Dr. Reverend Dr. Bob Boggs appeared. Bob, now deceased, was a retired pastor in the Dover Baptist Association, and he handled pastoral care for all the pastors and their families in the association. And he came to pray for me. Got there just in time, and as he was praying, the nurse anesthetist was starting my medication. And the nurse said, Mr. Lee, you will start to feel a little sleepy, and when you wake up, you won't remember a thing. I never heard amen. 
I didn't remember anything after that. I never heard Dr. Bob's, Boggs uh, fin finish his prayer. The next thing I remember, I was in the waiting room in, recovery, or in the recovery room recovering. Like the nurse said, I remembered nothing from the surgery at all. But I do remember when I prayed that morning, anticipating surgery nervously. I do remember our deacons and pastors from church coming to pray with us. I remember Dr. Boggs' image there at the foot of my bed praying. I remember in the recovery, when I got back into my room, Jeff and Legina Raymond, he's the pastor at Derbyshire now, who came to pray with me and brought a prayer, a prayer shawl from their church. I remember embracing the prayer shawl as um, a com something that was very comforting. I remembered the places I prayed. Maybe you are sitting here this morning or sitting at home watching, and you can think about places where you have prayed. A chapel in the hospital, or a sanctuary, or as you're driving down the road for work on your commute because that's the only peace and quiet that you have in the mornings, or at the cemetery after you have experienced the loss of a loved one, or through this pandemic that we have all been in. As we study Jonah chapter 2, we will sit with Jonah in the belly of the great fish in the Jonah school of prayer. Our Sunday catch, that's our main point each Sunday during this series, uh, Sunday's catch, if you will, is whether we cry in distress or burst with praise, God is with us. Jonah reminds us that the Psalms are the language of our prayers. Last Sunday, as we launched this new message series on the prophet Jonah, uh, we saw that God called him particularly to a place called Nineveh. It was a Gentile city. This was not Jonah called, like other prophets, to speak to kings of Israel or to speak prophetic words to the people of Israel. Jonah was called to a Gentile city. He was an outlier in that way. God called him and said, go preach to the Ninevites. They were Gentiles. And rather than go and do that, Jonah ran in the opposite direction. And as you remember from last week, to avoid doing the will of God, he, took, he went down to a port called Joppa and paid the fare for a ship bound to Tarshish. That was far west as he could flee, probably around 3,000 miles. That's modern-day Spain, in particular the Straits of Gibraltar. Jonah just wanted to get away. If you study the New Testament, the Apostle Paul longed to go to Spain to share the gospel with the people there. But for Jonah, Tarshish, Spain, was his escape. Eugene Peterson talks about how Jonah was in charge of his destiny at that point. He could have chosen to follow God's will, but instead he chose to go the other direction. He decided on Tarshish, paid the considerable sum of money to get there, and he says, the cost of a long voyage as far as the Straits of Gibraltar and beyond, 
and lasting almost a year would have been no small matter. Jonah is presented to us as a man with money, able to finance his self-will, his self-determination. Peterson presents commentary from a Hebrew scholar that conveys that Jonah was able to pay the fare for the entire ship, taking charge of his destiny completely. This was not a cruise that was going to go from here to there to other ports along the way. This was going to Tarshish. It would be like chartering our own cruise ship from the Mediterranean in Joppa all the way to Spain. A one-way ticket for him. Jonah was in control. But God's storm would buffet the ship he got on. The wind and the waves became more violent. The captain and the sailors readily discovered that the storm was the result of Jonah's disobedience to his God. And reluctantly, upon Jonah's own counsel, the sailors tossed him overboard so that the storm would subside. They were saved. They thought Jonah would not be saved. And then the text in chapter 1, verse 17, tells us what God did. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Last Sunday, we ended with an intentionally disobedient prophet, uncomfortably situated in the belly of a great fish. This is the first place where Jonah prayed. Everything that happened before was all about Jonah. He doesn't appear to ask God any kind of direction from his hometown which was situated near Nazareth, not far from where Jesus was born. He doesn't appear to ask God for directions as he goes down the road to Joppa, not as he chartered the ship, not as he fell asleep below deck, not as the captain awakened him, not as the sailors interrogated him, not even when he accepted responsibility for the storm, the damage to the ship, the lost cargo, and potentially the lives of all of those who were on the ship. There is no mention of Jonah seeking God's help in all of those situations. But then, when he is deep in the depths in the darkness of the belly of the great fish, he prays. In the belly of a fish, his place of prayer. Can you imagine what it would have been like? He gives us a little hint in verse 5 where he expresses the seaweed wrapped around his head. The fish belly would have been smelly, wet, dark, and noisy. Mostly a place of isolation. Just him and God. A dark night of the soul. Many of us have been isolated over these past six months. Many understand what it is like to have such little interaction with our friends and church members. In a way, we have been in the belly of the great fish. Crying out to God.
Yet the text reminds us that it was God who provided the great fish. Jehovah Jireh, God provided the great fish. God provided that second chance and saved Jonah's life. And in that belly, Jonah prayed. It was the physical place where he prayed. He cried out to God, and then his prayer turned towards thanksgiving, praising God for all of God's blessings, his provision, and having a longing for worship at temple. But prayer doesn't happen in, only happen in physical places. It happens from the depths of our situations. That may be the place of our prayer. For Jonah, it was a, a running from God, disobedience. He was angry at God about this call to Nineveh. He was not content. His pride got in the way. I can afford whatever I want, so I'm going to go to Joppa, and I'm going to buy the entire ship, and I'm going to sail to get away from God as far as I can. I'm determined to do what I want to do. I am not concerned about the well-being of the people in Nineveh where God said I was supposed to go. And it is from that place that Jonah prays, from the depths of his situation. For us, it might be our circumstances. I don't know what it is for you, but it is when we feel helpless. Y'all know that my father was hospitalized in the month of July as a result of COVID-19, and he died on July 30th. And I remember feeling so helpless because I couldn't go into the hospital to see him. And while he was on the, rest, the ventilator, I couldn't talk with him. I felt helpless, and it was from that place of distress I prayed. I remember going down into the chapel at the hospital to have some time to pray when I was there during the days before he died. And the Bible on the little uh, small altar in the chapel there at the hospital was open to none other than Jeremiah chapter 29. And I knew that verse 11 was right there. I have plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And even in the midst of my distress, God spoke to me in that chapel that day to remind me of his presence. And God does that same thing to you and me today, no matter what it is that we are experiencing. Jonah prayed out of his situation in life. German scholars call that our Sitzimleben. We learned that back in seminary, our situation in life and how that forms the, the, the scripture that we are called to put down. Listen to Jonah's prayer. You hurled me into the deep. Currents swirled about me. Waves and breakers swept over me. I've been banished from your sight. Engulfing waters threatened me. The, sea, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me forever. He prayed out of his distress. That's lament. That's telling God whatever is on our mind. God is big enough to handle it. And in the form, if you study the form of the lament psalms, there is almost always a turn to praise. That as Job was able to praise God and say, I know my Redeemer lives, so Jonah too in the belly of that fish was able to acknowledge the presence of the God who had provided the fish and had given him a second chance. We pray out of our distress, maybe saying, even God can't save this marriage. God can't help me out of this financial mess. God can't help me out of my addiction to alcohol or drugs 
or whatever that might be. Even God can't forgive the sins I've committed. Why the isolation, God? Why 200,000 COVID-19 deaths in our country? Why the fires in the West? Why the hurricanes? Why did that have to happen to George Floyd? And why does it continue to happen to so many others? Why the division in our country? Our prayers might be summed up with some descriptors of hashtag 2020. You can fill in the blank. A lot of people have as they post that. That 2020 has been a really hard year. But like Jonah, we pray, we as people of faith, pray from our situation in life. And like Jonah, I hope that we realize we need God. In the belly of that great fish, Jonah realized he needed God. The God who had hurled Jonah into the deep because of his disobedience is the same God who would bring him up from the pit and deliver him onto dry land. And I love that passage that Pastor Amanda read earlier where, uh, and talked about in the children's sermon uh, where the great fish vomited jo Jonah out onto dry ground. It's not pretty, but God gave him a second chance. He prayed, Jonah did, from a physical place. He prayed out of the depths of his distress. And he also... Uh, prayed scripture. He prayed the Psalms. His prayers are the result of his practice of the Psalms. Chapter 2, the prayer in Jonah chapter 2 is taken entirely from the Psalms. This is not a scribal insertion that happened later because they thought that it would be a nice thing to have Jonah down there praying scripture. His prayer was shaped and formed and informed by the Psalms. If you go back and study it, you'll see at least six or seven different Psalms that informed his prayer. It was lament, but it was also thanksgiving and praise, the two most frequent types of Psalms in the Psalter. Eugene Peterson comments that Jonah had been to school to learn to pray, and that school was the school of the Psalms. I believe Augustine said that as well. It's important to us to grasp that, especially in today's world of consumerism and in the quick fix, Jonah had spent much time praying and listening to the Psalms that they became part of his prayer lexicon. In his book, Hurting with God, Dr. Glenn Pemberton, one of Aaron Everick's professors in undergraduate school at Abilene Christian University explains his concern that we Christians have lost the art and have of lament and have acquiesced to a superficial culture that is more like the power of positive thinking and self-help than it is led by an authentic faith response. And he helps us to see that praying the Psalms are part of that authentic faith response. And help us to live with God when things are going well. But also helps us live as people of faith when, and uh, trusting God when things don't get better. How to live within the rain. How to live our faith in the midst of the downpour. Like the disciples were there in the storm with Jesus. We live in the storm with his presence among us knowing He is our provider 
and he is trustworthy, and he is true. I believe we need to reclaim the language of lament. Right at the early part of the pandemic, we talked about the things that we were missing, that we were losing, that we were grieving as a people. And six months later, we can all reflect on those things we have lost. And we can come to God and be honest with God in our laments to give all that to God because God is big enough for a, uh, to handle it. And Eugene Peterson encourages us to use the Psalms as this means, this bucket to dip down into the well of God's presence and word and bring them to the surface again and again. That's exactly what Jesus did while he was there on the cross. Do you remember the words he said? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was quoting the very first verse of Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. He prayed the psalms. His prayer was formed and shaped by the psalms, just as Jonah's were. And Jesus even goes back and looks at Jonah and uses it as an illustration to help people understand that just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man would be in the tomb and would rise on the third day. There is hope because there is a resurrection. The text in Jonah is pointing us, and we can see this in, in the story, pointing us to, to see Christ and the resurrection and new life and hope on the third day. Our response song today is Living Hope. And as we uh, lead into the Lord's Supper and then respond to, to God, be reminded that the same God who provided for Jonah provides for you and me. The same God who was with Jonah in the depths is with you and me, no matter what. He is trustworthy and true. There's a prayer we started with last Sunday. I'd like to invite you to say it with me today, and then we will break bread together. It's on the screen. Whether you're at home or here in person, I invite you to say it out loud. Lord, you have promised to go before me and to be with me. You have promised that you will never leave me or forsake me. I claim that promise right now. I truly believe you can help me to step beyond my fears and anxieties as I meet the responsibilities of today. Thank you, Lord. Amen.